Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today on the show, how do you change your toaster? Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Seth Nelson. And as always, I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. Let's say you're in the divorce process. Maybe just getting started. Maybe you're on the other side. But wherever you are, part of the process of healing involves looking inward and asking an important question. How do I make the changes I need to make to be the best I can be for myself and for others in the future? Kurt Nelson is a behavioral scientist and recognized leader in human motivation and behavior change. He's also co-founder of Behavioral Grooves Podcast, and we are thrilled to have his Behavioral Groove in on the show this week. Kurt, welcome to the toaster. Hey, I am very happy to be here. Glad to, glad to talk to you guys. I'll be straight with you. I'm a little nervous that you're on the show. Oh, because you're not an attorney. I'm not. Right? I'm does not, that I'm, make you does that make you really nervous? That's, Seth? How's that's, that feel? That's not the problem. Oh, okay. okay. I mean, it's sort of the problem, but not the problem. The problem is he's a behavioral scientist, yeah. which just makes me like it's almost like act normal. <laughs> yeah, <know>? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right, like, By acting normal, will you actually come across as normal and yeah. send us some signals right there? See? Yeah, and now you're doing the reverse psychology on me. Yeah, and I confuse myself. A- it's bad. Okay. It's it's the it's the it's the white elephant test, right? Now all I can think about is my own behavior, and it's the worst. It's yeah. the it's the now, worst. Kurt, I will share this with you. My father, uh, who's eighty one years old, is uh, has his PhD in psychology, clinical psych, and has taught at University of South Florida. Graduate students, he traveled the world, done all this amazing stuff. Okay, my mother, who passed away last year, was an attorney. <laughs> so this is what I grew up with. And this is how the dinner conversation went in high school. When, And I was not a great student in high school. I kind of flourished late. But I came home with an A, an intro to law, and a B, an intro to psych. Okay? And my mom looks across the table at my dad and says, see, he got an A, an intro to law. He's going to be a lawyer. <laughs> and my dad goes, well, of course, it's easier. <laughs> so that's kind of how I grew up. So I'm a little nervous about this conversation today. <laughs> yes, yeah, they, they didn't tell you that this is really all about you and we're yeah, all set up. That's amazing. I didn't know this was going to be an intervention, but I'm so thrilled to be here and witness it. That's funny because all throughout my day, when I talk to my fiance and I talk to my 18 year old kid, I talk to everybody that allegedly works for me because we work together, but I have a lot of bosses. They only tell me it's not about me. So <laughs> I'm, I'm good with this intervention. Bring it on. <laughs> uh, you know, I, so to, to get us uh, off of, off of Seth, uh, <laughs> I, I am really interested in this, in this conversation because I think there, you know, so many of the conversations we have about the divorce process uh, are uh, about the the practical places, the places where we need to rebuild ourselves, and and going through the grief process of of divorce. But I'm I'm interested in this this angle about uh, you know what happens at the intersection of our individual behavior, our ability to be fluid in a di- in difficult situations, and divorce. Like I want to think that the divorce process might be an indicator that you might be ready for change, like you might be ready to change yourself. Uh, but 
I, I might be, I don't know, I guess I might be wrong. Uh, what does it look like there? No, I think, Pete, you, you bring up a really good point here. So one of the things that we always talk about change is change is at the same time, it is both super difficult. We all know that, right? Have you ever tried to go on a diet? Have you ever tried to do any type of thing where, gosh, I got to do this. It's hard. I, I, I fail at it over and over and over again. And yet at the same time, we are constantly changing. We, you know, if you look back at yourself, uh, who you were a year ago versus who you are now, even some of the behaviors that you're doing, particularly if you look over five, 10 years, you have changed drastically in, in that period of time. We know that we change. We change on a daily basis. We change on a weekly basis, all of those things. The hard part is sometimes is that purposeful change is that we're trying to change things when there are so many factors that go into our behavior, how we're doing that in different pieces. And what you bring up, though, is this idea that, all right, I am going through a massive tumultuous component of my life at this point of going through a divorce. This is a, for most people, I would assume, again, not being a lawyer and not having to deal with this, but having just my own personal experience with friends and others who have gone through this, this isn't something that people take lightly. And this is often about who they are as an individual, particularly if they've been together for a while, because part of that self-identity comes with me being part of a couple me being part of this group. And so it is a opportunity to kind of do an inward search. And it might be part of the reason for the divorce might be because you have changed and you have switched. And maybe the other person that you're in um, in that marriage with uh, has shifted and changed in a different way. And so now you no longer have that connection that you did have before. So much of it, though, and Seth, riff on this, too, because I I feel like from your perspective, when you look at people who are sort of ready for change, the other side of that is people who are completely recalcitrant in their efforts to change, right? Like, how does vengeance, that sort of vengeful spirit of separation, impact our own ability to look in the mirror? Oh, absolutely. And what I always view change as, and going through a divorce is a massive change is I kind of view it like the weather. And what I mean by that is, you know, the, you have erosion. It happens over time. It's just the water going over the rocks slowly in the stream. Right. And that's how we, and then a hurricane comes through and it just changes the whole riverbed and how it moves. And that's how I always view change in our lives because I always view the process of getting to the point where you're going through a divorce as the erosion. People weren't focused on it throughout their marriage. There's the death of a thousand cuts. And then you call the divorce attorneys or then you file for divorce without attorneys. And now you're in the hurricane, right? And you got to get through that. And to your point, Pete, some people are going to fight that storm and they're going to go out there and, and yell at the lightning and the thunder and they're going to they're not going to change through it they're going to fight it fight it fight it as opposed to say man let me get to the eye of this thing where at least it's calm and it's all crazy around me but what can i do to settle it down and so much of that has to do on how you make and i and i love this what you said kurt purposeful change so this is a time to think about what can i do differently Starting with, I'm about to go through a process that I've never been before. If I have been through it before, it's probably awful. So what can I do to change my behaviors to at least get through this divorce process more smoothly and calmly and less of the hurricane? 
I, I love the analogy of that hurricane kind of coming in and changing that river right away. And the, the process of getting up there is that slow erosion as you're moving forward. Uh, but Pete, you had talked about this idea, this element of vengeance. And there's, you know, that, that one person may be pushing this and one person not there, there, you might be at different pages, uh, in the book as, as you're going through this. And there's a lot of this that, uh, probably, and again, any individual is going to have their own personal history and the psychology around it. But some of that is probably around autonomy. Am I, am I the one making this choice to have this happen? And if I'm not, then that is a very different change environment that I'm in versus that person who is driving that change. Or if you're both doing it, then it's, it still could be difficult and, and, tumultuous because all of the other factors that come into it but that autonomy piece that that piece that i have agency over the direction that my life is going is a key piece of of purposeful change so seth going back to the idea if we feel like we're being battered around if that this isn't my choice my initial reaction typically and this is just in human nature is I am going to push away from that, right? I am going to, there, there are, it's that, uh, fight or flight piece. And, and most people in those situations, if there's not an easy flight, if they can't just get out of this, if there's something invested in it for them, they're going to fight. And that fighting, uh, uh, the thunderstorm, you know, is, is just that it's fighting a thunderstorm. And so how do you overcome and it's a part of your brain that reacts in these things that we don't have much control over. So that purposeful change is hard because it's the amygdala, which is a ancient part of our brain that releases, you know, a variety of different uh, hormones and other things that kind of create this, this anxiousness, this fear, all of these other factors that come into play. And Kurt, I might be getting ahead of ourselves here. Assume that you're the one that doesn't want the divorce. Mm-hmm. So, change is coming at you and you have no agency. Yeah. At what point, or is there a point to make a purposeful change to say, I don't want this, but I'm going to take this opportunity to make change in my own life. Like I I had this path I was going on. I get that. I I, I'm no longer allowed to go down that path. And now I'm just going to refocus because that seems to be when people can get there, the divorce process goes more quickly, more smoothly, or post-divorce issues become less and less when they kind of get out of their own way of trying to keep going down this path that's no longer available. It comes into a big piece of, of having to let go. And that's difficult for people. Um, and so from a behavior change perspective, if I don't feel like I have agency that this isn't, I don't want this divorce, I don't like how it's going, and it's being you know, thrust upon me, you know, you've, you've gone through whatever the motions are that this is beyond repair, right? This is, we're not going to get back together. We know this. And now I'm just fighting to fight. And there, there comes a time from a, again, a purposeful change that you have to assess is, you know, what is the value of me acting in the way that I'm acting? And this is hard. 
Um, and, and because we, we, we think of ourselves as rational human beings. And so if, if we were rational human beings, we would lay down and, and, um, you know, a lot of the work that I do comes from what's called behavioral economics, which is this kind of, uh, push against classical economics and classical economics would say, Hey, look, you know, we got two people here. We're going to do what they call utility, um, and maximize each of our utilities. So if, if I, there's a classic game that's called Oh, I'm going to get it wrong. Why did I? I just forgot. It's not the prisoner's dilemma. Is it Monopoly? Say it's Monopoly. (laughs) Ultimatum game. Sorry. It's called the ultimatum (laughs) game. Basically, where you have two people playing this game. One person is given some money, $10, $20. The only thing that they have to do is they have to give some portion of that money, offer it up to player number two. Player number two doesn't get to interact with player number one. They don't get to, you know, negotiate or do anything. They get to either just accept that offer or deny that offer. If they accept, they get whatever was. So if it's $10 and I offered you a dollar, I get the dollar. If I accept, if I don't, none of us get either money, right? And again, from a classical economist perspective, regardless of what player number one offers, player number two should accept it because it's, it, I, I'm better off. I got Something's better than because nothing. something is better than I nothing. I got a dollar, yeah. right? It, <laughs> right? You know? Yeah, you got nine, but I got a dollar. But what we find is that for most people, we will, we will, put, this is again, this isn't everybody, but on average, it's about three to four dollars for a $10 bet before they will accept the offer. And for many people, it's five dollars. You gotta, you gotta split it evenly or I'm gonna, I'm gonna punish you because you're not fair. See, Pete, here's my problem. Yeah. I'm like, if you're the guy offering, yeah. If you're not giving me eight, screw you, dude. but you know this is the thing this is the thing about these sorts of of thought exercises these sorts of games it's very difficult to put yourself in the position or i'll I'll speak personally for me to put myself in a position of what i would do in that scenario when i'm not in that scenario as a distant third party i can think completely rationally about other people potentially being you know crazy in that kind of situation and and uh you know giving themselves you know the the gun by which they shoot themselves in the foot yeah but it's once you're in it and you see it happen and you realize it's happening it feels like you're in another world like what possible planet am i on that i would make this decision and i think that planet is called divorce (laughs) i think you're 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 right in this idea that we are really poor as human beings in general at being able to put ourselves into a what's called a hot psychological situation and understand how we will respond. In our cold, calculating, rational world, uh, if we're predicting what we will do in the future, we will oftentimes predict that we will do these rational things. But when we're in there, all of a sudden the adrenaline's pumping, you know, I got whatever, it's like emotions are going. Sure. I feel like I'm being slighted. It, that gets thrown out the window. Um, and what ends up happening is you respond, like we said, I'm going to refuse until you give me $8 out of that 10 because I'm going to be spiteful and, and therefore you're, you're going to be screwed over because I'm not going to take that. Or because I have a mental model that indicates that I would feel bad if I were in your shoes only giving me a dollar. But what influence does that have over the way you think? Pro- none. 
And, and so going back, I think Seth, you had asked this question of, all right, so I'm not the one uh, that is is going for this divorce. And so how do I overcome those feelings? And I, it, A, it's hard, right? B, it's uh, uh, you're going to be dealing with these things, even if you are in this ideal state of saying, let's be rational about this. There's still an emotional component that comes in. Uh, there's that self-identity. Pete, you just said, you know, this mind, this model that I have of, of how the world operates is a big piece of this. And what ends up happening is that at some point, there is a, there's some element where you can choose. And this is, this is where it gets into that purposeful change. Um, and it doesn't happen easily, but if you choose to just step back, and say, what would that rational person do? And you have to take yourself out of the situation. So it's not going to typically happen when you're face to face with, uh, you know, the person that you're getting a divorce with or you're, you know, on that phone and doing different pieces. But step out and say, what do I want? What What is the best outcome that I can have? What do I need to do in order to make that happen? And then set what we call... um you know, there are if then statements or uh, intentional statements that people can do. So if this happens, then I will respond with this way. And you're doing that back to that cold state, right? So I'm in a cold state thinking about what the future is going to bring. It doesn't guarantee that that's going to happen. Well, Kurt, it you just in that, yeah, you just described mediation to me. Yeah, and when we prep for mediation, we always talk about worst case in court, best best day, worst day in court. Because that's talking about what our best outcomes are. And that outcome is defined by, here's an account, it's $100,000 in it. We're making an argument that we should get 50, you should get 50, that's our best day. They're making the argument, no, the entire account is non-marital, so Seth, your client should get nothing, so our worst day is zero, right? It's either 50 grand or zero. But then you get into the mediation and the emotion comes out. Well, it's unfair because this is what we use that account for. I put money, like there's all this stuff that goes on and, I, and I'm saying, yeah, but in the legal world, that doesn't matter. In the real world, if we're having a beer, I'm agreeing with you hundred percent of the time and everything you're telling me, I'm not telling you it's wrong or right. I'll agree with you in the real world, but it's really just your perceptions and how you view things in the perceived world doesn't really matter in court other than what the judge perceives, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's really the legal world again. And so we kind of have these conversations, but we do talk about if then, if we can do this, what about this? What about that? And at the end of the money side, no one agrees on every single item on what it's worth and who's going to get it because you're there for hours and hours already. So ultimately, you're just like, you keep this, you keep that. What's the bottom number to exchange? But in doing that process... I work hard with my clients to get away from the emotional aspects of it and focus on this is a business deal. Question related specifically to that. You just triggered something for me, Seth. Is there is there a difference in approach to someone's developing readiness for change when dealing with issues that are uh, broadly emotional, financial, familial? So dealing with the kids, dealing with money, everything else. Like, do you do you need to approach those relationships differently in, in terms of, of behavior? Yes. Yes, you do. Um, there's really interesting research. Um, 
so think about this. Think about your before you're going through this divorce proceeding and, and different pieces, right? And you go over to your in-laws for a really nice Thanksgiving dinner. Is there such a thing? Imagine a wonderful Are there, are there like this, cotton candy clouds yeah, too, Kurt? Is, you're, you're still in your honeymoon, whatever it would be, right? <laughs> you're going over for this, this wonderful thing. It's okay to bring a bottle of wine uh, it's being, you know, the, the, the son-in-law or the daughter-in-law and, and, and offering that and thanking them. But if I was to go and say, oh, this was a great meal. Here's 50 bucks. Thank you for that. Um, what you've done is you've changed this from what was considered a social interaction uh, into a financial interaction. And that is you get very different dynamics in how that works. I can't believe how weird you just made it. I've never <laughs> once considered bringing cash to a family dinner. No, and nobody does, right? It's I mean, so it weird. Does, it's, we, we wouldn't you ever do that. You know the next dinner I go to, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> Make it rain, Seth Nelson. <laughs> ah, this was only worth 20 you know. Oh, this was a good meal. This is a $50. When my brother right. shows right. up with that shit bottle of wine, I'm going to say I would have preferred 20 bucks. there you go there you go but going back to this idea that you talked that there's the there's that financial part right and in those financial pieces that that gets to be more calculative that gets to be like how much did you put in how much did i put in and you can argue back and forth and people can be it, it gets emotional because we we tend to look at finances from what it will do for us and it goes back to that ultimatum game is it fair or not fair but ultimately, that's much more of a negotiating element that you should be able to, from a behavioral perspective, work through when you get into that, um, you know, the social piece of this. And this gets, you know, as part of the divorce, obviously, with kids and, you know, other family, family kind of elements. That's a whole different world. And you can't it's not like I you're going to be saying yeah, I'll take, you know, I'll, I'll exchange $50 for that day with my kid. Right. You know, right. Um, Cause that just doesn't, it doesn't fit with how we respond as a, as a human. So. Because you can't buy time and you shouldn't buy your children. Yeah. So it's, it's like you said, it's that, that, that idea of going to your in-laws and, you know, paying in cash as opposed to some other, you know, way of, of showing your, your gratitude for that it doesn't even kind of allow us to really think about that. We, we, we're not built that way. And yet I think sometimes, and you guys have the, the expertise in this, but you know, if, if it starts getting down to those types of things, it's just really hard for us to wrap our, our minds and our hearts and, and how we feel around it. Cause it just is, is not natural for us. So. Well, that's one of the problems of Florida family laws, the child support guidelines based upon the number of overnights that you have with your children. So you are buying time. Yeah, at some level. So there is a actual change in the formula at 73 overnights, which is 20% of the time. So as it gets higher, the, the biggest swing in who pays whom, how much child support is how many overnights. So you'll hear people come in and they'll say, I want 50-50. And the other side will say, well, they're only doing it because they want to pay less child support. Oh, yeah. And here's the thing, why both those sentences are ludicrous if you think about the big picture. 
for the most part, not every case, the cheapest thing you could do is never have your child and pay the full freight on child support. If you really think about it, because when you're with your kid, I'm the money tree. I'm the ATM, right? And I'm not talking about spoiling my kid. I'm just talking about the groceries and shoes and school clothes and getting them to and from school and the gas and gas prices. And you, you start adding up what you actually spend. The cheapest thing you could do to raise your child is never see them under Florida family law and just pay the child support. <laughs> Way to go, Florida family law. Hey, you know, for, it, no it, notes. It, You're doing great. It, it ends with duh for a reason. <laughs> you know? The fact of the matter is, is from a behavior of psychology perspective, is that when we're dealing with highly emotional types of situations like this is these are is that there are going to be that you're going to be out of those rational modes and so uh trying to come in in a rational state um is going to be very difficult now it might be the best thing to do even uh, given all that we've we've talked about but to set yourself up if you again going back to that very beginning if you're in this it's not your choice what do we need to do? What do I need to do um, in order to make this work best a- across the board? Not just from the divorce perspective, but all right, how do I deal with with friends and family? How do I deal with the kids? How do I deal with, you know, even interacting with that my former, you know, spouse? All of those are an emotional interaction that we have. And part of the way that we respond is how people, how we perceive people are working with us. And so it's, it comes down to oftentimes how am I changing my behavior and that can change how the overall behavior gets, gets taken in. So. And in the next 20 minutes, you're going to explain it. All my clients are going to do it <laughs> and my life is going to get a lot easier in my job. Okay. I'm just going to kick back and take notes. (laughs) (laughs) If only, right? If only. Pete, it is September and we're coming to the end of back to school, but some kids are still buying backpacks, going to Target and Walmart, getting the pencil sharpeners, their binders together. And in all those cases, we are always still very concerned about their safety, especially when it comes to alcohol. Absolutely. And you know, here, How to Split a Toaster, we are a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Uh, No better area to really put your focus than saving your relationship uh, when it comes to substance abuse. That's why we have partnered with Soberlink to help offer resources to help you navigate the upcoming back to school season. So Seth, what is Soberlink? It's a remote alcohol monitoring technology. It's created to help prove your sobriety in child custody cases. It's a high-tech breathalyzer, facial recognition that allows you and the other parent and anyone else that you put on the email list, real-time updates. So you blow into it, it's 0.00, everybody knows that you are your best self 
you're not drinking and you're focused on your kids and therefore they're safe. Soberlink has helped hundreds of thousands of people document proof of sobriety in real time for peace of mind in child custody cases. It helps your case. It helps your uh, your case as a parent. It helps people like Seth help a lot of people uh, by checking out Soberlink. They're currently offering a free back to school and divorce packet. It includes a Q&A with a top divorce attorney, back to school checklist, communication tips and more. And you can get that by requesting your free packet today at Soberlink.com slash toaster. That's Soberlink.com slash toaster. I uh, I had a conversation with a friend over the weekend who is uh, about to go to trial. He's been waiting for eight months. He's in, and he's about to go to trial with a, in a, a contentious uh, divorce. And one of the things he said to me is something that Seth, again, you just trigger. This is a double triggering uh, event that you've you've really triggered me twice today already, <laughs> uh, which is talking about percentages and then switching to number of overnights. Mm. The way our brains are able to rationalize units feels important to me, and. I can't explain why, but I can say that one of his great complaints is that she keeps changing his soon-to-be former spouse, keeps changing the units of discussion in a way that is very hard to rationalize what, like, equity. How do you, how do you figure out who's getting the better deal when you're speaking a language that is irrational? Like, we can't, saying 73 overnights is, is, difficult to conceive of in the overall arc of time, 50-50 is pretty easy. So let's try to muck it up by keeping it a number of overnights. Does that does that ring true? How do our brains rationalize that kind of stuff? Oh, it's, you bring up one of the, the biggest conundrums that we have as humans is this that we, we aren't good at math typically. And so particularly large numbers, as you said, 73 is hard for us to conceptualize what that means because, all right, 73 over 353, got to do the math. What does that work? It's hard for us to, to grab that, right? Right. And this is what's so warped about being a divorce attorney. Yeah. There's 52 weeks in a year. Divide that in half. There's 26. Yep. Right? So t- call it 25 for easy math. If you have Friday night and Saturday night, that's 50, Right. So you're at 50 if you only have every other night. So basically, if you have every other weekend, you're barely at the 73. You just get over. So it's every other weekend, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night. That's all it is. Okay. See, this is why I asked the question to you, Kurt, because Seth has clearly adapted to this other alien land <laughs> yeah, of calculating, I'm, I'm in calculating land. weekend yeah. nights. <laughs> right. Welcome to Divorceophoria. But that's, but we don't, do, we don't do that as humans, right? That, that yeah, isn't, right. that isn't the typical way that we do it. At 20%, it makes it's much better. 20%. All right. That's two days out of the week. Okay. I get that, that you can. Actually, it's not two days out of the week, right? It's even, it's more than that. But that, that see, I couldn't even do the math. In it's my all head about, right yeah, there, right. right. There once, once it's a percent. The, the best <laughs> part about this show, you just called me a non-human. That's just great. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, no, but I, I totally get it. And, and here's what I tell clients on this exact issue. I said, never once have you thought about spending time with your kids in a matter of percentages. No. Never once have you thought about dividing up your assets in a matter of percentages, whether you have kids or not. 
That's not how we think as humans. That's not how you think of when you're married and when you're raising your kids. You've divided up responsibilities. You handled your money differently. You've done this. You've done that. And we use the term such as like my kids, not meaning ownership, not like they're not her kids as well, or my account. Well, it's your account, but you've had that account with your spouse for forever, right? And like people get all confused on how they things are titled, but that's just not how we think. And then the great state of Florida and a lot of other states say, oh, well, now we need a parenting plan and here's a graph and put in uh, boxes on a calendar on who has what, when. And so immediately we put them in an adversarial system, which is a lot of issues I have with divorce law. And then we put them into boxing them in literally into a graph to figure out when they see time with their kids. And it's totally foreign. And there's some basic things people understand, like, well, we'll get every other weekend. And then they start arguing over Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday overnights. And you get into that, that we talked, we started this whole thing with behavior change and the idea of going from what was the way that we parented to a new paradigm around that parenting. And again, we talked about earlier, we are not, humans are not good at predicting how we will respond in the future. And so we make up kind of scenarios about what that life will be like if it's every other weekend and Tuesdays and Thursdays on whatever weekends it is and three weeks in the summer, however that would be. Every full moon. Yeah, we envision what that will be like. And for the most part, I would guess that when that reality hits, it is nothing like what we had predicted. And that's not saying it's going to be worse or better, um, but it will be different than what we had anticipated. So the planning stage of this is always difficult. One of the things, like we know this from aging studies and other things, like people saying, how are you going to, how are you going to be in five years, 10 years? And they go, oh, this will be this or whatever it will be. And the best predictor of being able to, to actually predict how I will feel in five years is to go talk to somebody who's at that stage of life and was where I was five years ago and ask them what they're, how they feel and, and what it's like. So again, from a divorce perspective, if you're, you know, working with your clients, you know, one of the things I might suggest is to say, go talk to somebody who has gone through this very thing and figure and, and ask them how this is and, and what's good and what's bad and, and where they are. And that might help them in being able to at least ground themselves a little bit in what to expect. And then it may be better than what they had envisioned in the first place. So, Right. And part of it, when I have a client who is struggling with moving forward in the process, even if they're, the process is, do I get divorced or not? Or they're getting divorced, but they just aren't engaged in the process, have no agency. My question to them always is, do you want to feel the way you feel now two years from now? The answer is always no. No. They've never said, love it. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we could stay in this state forever, right? So they say no. And I say, well, then something's got to change. So when do you want to start making that change? No. And, and, and then we start trying to have purposeful change. Let's just take it one step at a time. I need you to get me your bank statements, <laughs> right? Like, let's start moving because some of their stuff, 
they just get frozen and and they just don't want to deal with it and they can't deal with it. And it's overwhelming. Which, which I think gets to sort of uh, possibly a leading question, which is like, how, how do we best prepare ourselves? Somebody's listening to this and they recognize they're someplace in the divorce process. They recognize they're having challenges with it. They know that what they're yet to confront is going to be hard. How, how do you pr- best prepare your brain, your behavior for this, what is demanding you to be more elastic over time, more flexible, more fluid over time when you're in a place of chaos? The piece that I think, Seth, you brought up that I would 100 percent kind of say, yes, this is what to do is Pete hates that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But it's it's to start the movement. Right. Um, As humans, we operate much better. We feel better about ourselves we feel more motivated to actually continue to do something if we feel like we're moving and having progress right um there's some really great work by teresa amable uh who is, is talks about the progress principle this idea that in in work situations but it also transfers to other parts of your life that you know if i just feel like i'm moving the needle it doesn't have to be a lot i don't have to get from point a to point you know z I just need to go, I don't even have to get to B. I just need to get, you know, partway between A and B. And I feel much better than if I'm stuck at A or if I revert back to you know, whatever's before A. I don't, you know, I use the bad, bad analogy there, but. Hieroglyphics. Hieroglyphics, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this idea. So, but this idea of getting people to start to move in this. And I think, Pete, what you were talking about is, all right, so how do you prepare yourself? It's hard to prepare. I think one of the things is to talk to people who have gone through it. So as, as if you guys are in, kind of you know you, you're part counselor so seth you said your dad was you know a psychologist and your mom was a lawyer well you're kind of both right oh, you i kinda, take you, i yeah. take with pride that i'm an attorney and counselor at law which isn't something you really see on signage anymore yeah right yeah but but that's absolutely uh what i i do but i think to your point on this getting the ball rolling, right? Moving forward and having progress. Where I sometimes see that stop is the fear of the unknown. People are terrified of a trial. Mm -hmm. They're just terrified of it. And then people that have gone through it, they're like, I'll do that again. Right, like yeah, it's the trial was the easy part. Yeah, because of the trial. Anybody ever said that? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, it actually has set it. It's a process, right? It's a process, but really at trial, the most frustrating thing for the client is they don't get to say anything (laughs) (laughs) unless they're on the stand and then they're just being asked questions. So it's this whole just fear of the unknown. I don't want to go try. I don't want to go try. There's so much conflict in trial. I said, any conflict in trial is going to be between me and opposing counsel through the judge who hopefully has control of the courtroom. Some judges don't. So, but that fear of the unknown, I see it like, people just tense up, right? Yeah. Well, and I think I think there's both the fear of the unknown and the grief of loss. Like, we've, we've talked about grief on the show before, and they're, like, that is a, grief is a stagnating state. So, you know, as you're managing both of those places, and yet still, 
figuring out what is the next step after A. Just figure out what the step is. It sounds like that's, you know, how you get over some of those things can be really hard. Grief, uh, that unknown part. I'm sorry, let's start with the unknown part. The unknown part is very true. It's this idea because we we will stay in a status quo situation that we know is bad for us because I don't know what will happen. Even if I think that moving forward with something is going to be better, there's still a, there's a chance that it's not. And that chance that it's not, that I don't have full understanding of what that will be, will pull me back into wanting to stay in that status quo situation. And part of that goes to this grief piece, which is there's a, there's a facet of human, uh, you know, element that we have what's called loss aversion, where they've done a lot of work that a, a loss feels two times as painful as the equivalent happiness or satisfaction we get from an equivalent gain. So put this in a, in a thing. If I, if I found a hundred dollars on the ground, right? And I pick it up, I get a certain amount of satisfaction or joy. Oh, this is great. A hundred bucks. I put it in my pocket. I go for the day. Wow. That was great. Now, but if I you're the it. guy who dropped a hundred dollars, exactly. If I'm the guy who goes into my pocket and I like go, I had a hundred, where'd that go? Oh my God. And you start, you, you search around, you feel that pain twice about as about twice as much as what they've, they've shown as if you lost 200 bucks. <laughs> then the, yeah, that's what I mean. But yeah, so it's exactly like that, right? You'd have to find 200 bucks to have the similar kind of uh, happiness that would offset losing that hundred dollars, which goes into a whole bunch of gambling and, and risk taking and other things that are going on. Oh, I was going straight to my poker days on that conversation. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. So, but, like why we take stupid bets on some things and different pieces. But this is interesting. It's something we were just we've talked about on the show just this season, which was the you know, both, both Seth and I lost a, a parent in, over the last year and uh, watching my mom uh, address her life going forward. Uh, you can see how the loss of my dad is easily two times greater than even their marriage on its best day. Like that grief is incredibly deep. I've never seen anything like that. And that's, I mean, what you're describing just nails it. Like why it's so hard to find the next step. Yeah. And so the idea of losing something that you held dear, and then we get the, the whole nother aspect, which is the endowment effect, which is if I, if, if, if I asked you, how much would you pay for, uh, uh, to buy this, this coffee mug, right? You go, Oh, it's $6 coffee mug. But if I own this coffee mug and you ask me how much I will sell it for, it's like, by mere ownership, (laughs) all of a sudden it becomes more valuable to me. And again, you can think about a marriage that way. You can think about this idea that if I'm still hanging on to this idea of us as a couple, of us as a family, and all of these things, that endowment effect kicks in. So it's A, it's more, it is perceived as more valuable than what it might actually be. And then B, the fear of loss of it boom, you double that that pain that comes with this. And all of a sudden you're going, oh, that makes a whole lot of sense of why people, it's it's difficult, right? I, it, that's as easy as I can say it, it's difficult, right? So so it gets to just, just in terms of 8 a.m. Monday morning, how do we start moving forward? So I think what Seth said at the beginning or in the middle here somewhere where he said, do you want to feel like you're feeling now? Right. If you make 
uh, this idea salient of, of, all right, if you look down a month down the road, two months down the road, a year down the road, do you want to feel like you do now or do you want to feel better? And all of a sudden it becomes it that that feeling gets um, kind of vividly identified within um, our our brain. And by so doing, we can start that process of saying, yeah, I don't want to do this. And if I don't want to do this, then again, if we're purposeful and we can be tap into some of that rational part of our brain, then we can start moving forward. Um and again, what we need to do there is we need to understand that we're going to run into roadblocks. We're going to run into some emotional pieces that are going to throw us for a loop. Um, and what is, so build up the, um, those if then statements from an emotional perspective, not necessarily just in the trial component that you talked about, but if, you know, my spouse says X, um, I would normally respond with Y, but I need to do, you know, Z instead. So kind of work through what some of those are. Uh, the other piece is that we often have blind spots into our own, you know, understanding of different pieces. And so is there somebody that can be an advocate for you that's on your side that you trust, but is also not such a, isn't just like, you know, building you up into that froth of, yeah, they're bad. They're, you know, but actually holding a mirror to say, Hey, maybe you're not seeing this the right way, but you need to be able to trust and to, to have that person and to, to ask them for that help. Well, on that point, Kurt is I, I advise clients, look, when you go out with your friends, sometimes they're tired of listening to you bitch about this. They would like to help you, but they're tired of listening to you bitch about it. So one thing to do is to ask them specifically for help because sometimes they just don't know what to do, but they don't want to listen to it anymore. And it might be, hey, I'd love to go out. I'd like to vent for five minutes at the beginning, and then I'm not going to talk about the divorce. Right. But you can set these own boundaries on yourself so you can then stop living your divorce and start living your life. So I will say that to clients all the time. Like they'll be upset about something, and I'll say, okay. Here's our plan. Here's what we're going to do. Now, when we hang up the phone, go live your life. There's nothing for you to do here. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Or this just happened. I'm having a meeting with you. It's Monday afternoon now. I'm going to have a meeting with you on Thursday. There's nothing you for you to prepare for the meeting. I'll talk to you on Thursday. But between now and then, do not think about this. Right? And that gets you out of this cycle of getting nothing done and feeling like, you know, hey, I, I just can't move forward. It, it's going on because it takes up so much space. And I think the blind spot that you mentioned is twofold for me. One, it's your own personal blind spot, but it's also things that you just can't see at all. And I don't mean in your own behavior of what the future holds. I cannot express how good people feel a year out from their divorce. And they just can't see it and they can't feel it. And I assure them it will feel that way. And some people, even though they want the divorce, at the end, they're like emotionally just like raw and they get the paper. And some people are just devastated like, oh, it's all this loss all over again, even though they want it the whole time. Other people will jump for joy. Other people will be like, thank God that's over. 
But a year out when you're finding your new best self, people feel different. They look different. Their color is back. I can't even tell you how many clients have reached back out to me and be like, oh my God, I should have done that earlier. I should have gotten done quicker. I'm sorry I dragged on so long from what they told me they were preventing us from moving forward because I can only go as fast as the slowest person or entity and sometimes it's the court. Don't let it be you. This idea that that new best self, this idea that you can, you had asked like Monday morning, you know, all right, do you want that pain? But also envision what that new best self could be. And and in reality, we'll probably never be that that vision of what we have, but we will be a new best self that will feel, as you said, a hundred percent better than what I felt like going through this process. Because going through the process, it's the unknown, it's the grief of loss, it's all this. And at a certain point, you know, you talked about your parents and and their grieving, repeat, right? You know, your your mom will eventually, you know, it it will always be bad, but it will get better over time. And and that that loss will sting, but it won't sting as hard. And at some point there will be, you know, other things that go on um, that will bring joy and bring, you know, happiness and fulfillment. And that's the same thing as as you know, a divorce, you're going through a loss, you're going through something that you had invested in. And you know what? Okay, now it's time to move on. Now it's there. I will go back um, that idea of going out with your friends and not having that person who always talks about, you know, their divorce. Um, I think that is very true. But also be aware if you're the person going through that, that you might have that friend too that eggs some of that on uh, that they they enjoy those conversations they they live it and and they they will bring that up just because they feel they know they value. can get you going <laughs> they well they feel value because you're venting to me and this is a way that i can yeah. i feel valued because you're doing this to me that's why and, pete and, doesn't return my calls <laughs> I get, we have to have gated gated emotional space <laughs> gated emotional <laughs> space here yeah. only over the zoom Safe call yeah. as we're doing this there. Yeah. yeah the zoom will end automatically for yeah. a reason yeah. hey this this has been <laughs> this has been terrific i you got me thinking about a a, a quote that, that has oft been you know spun around and it's usually related to technology i think arthur c clark started it and bill gates riffed on it somewhere in the 60s a guy jcr licklider said people often uh, overestimate what can be done in one year and underestimate what can be done in five or ten. And I think that applies equally in technology as it does to emotion and grief and and I would largely say probably divorce, too, <laughs> yeah. uh, and certainly in our efforts to change. Uh, so this has been really fantastic. Tell us a little bit about your uh, podcast, what you're doing. Where would you like to send people to learn more about your work? Oh, okay. yeah. So uh, I I talk to people who are much smarter than me. So me and my co-host have a have a podcast called Behavioral Grooves. We interview behavioral scientists or practitioners who are, are applying behavioral science into real world organizations, et cetera, as, as we work. And we basically are just exploring um, why do we do what we do? Why, why do we um, 
say we want to exercise and then we don't go do it? And what are some of the, the tactics and hints that we can go and do in order to to make that happen? Or or why does my crazy uncle believe in conspiracy theories? And how do I then communicate with them? So, um, you know, I don't strangle them in, in different pieces. Um, so those are the things was, that we do. Was Seth recently on the show? Is that what you're <laughs> so like, First off, why do I like not exercise? Because I'm lazy. I answer that question. <laughs> it's not a checklist. Right. Yeah. <laughs> my, my crazy uncle and I want to strangle him. I would, but he's got a great wine cellar. You know, I mean, it's all about incentive balance, right? There you okay. go, incentives, right. and so that's it. So it's called behavioral grooves. It's out on pretty much any any of the podcast services that you want to want to hear it on. So, well, we sure appreciate you, and we appreciate you being here and sharing your wisdom with us. And yeah, we are, uh, you know, we like to interview people who are smarter than us too. So, uh, welcome, welcome to the show. What goes around <laughs> yeah. comes around. Yeah, low bar. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I usually say. Man. That's right. That's right. <laughs> like, look, simple minds never differ. <laughs> there you go. All right. Thank you, everybody, for hanging out with us, for downloading and listening to this show. We sure appreciate you, too. Uh, don't forget, you can ask us a question. Head over to howtosplitatoaster.com. You can uh, submit a question right there, and we'll talk about it on this very show. On behalf of the good uh, Kurt Nelson, I didn't even make yes. a double Nelson joke, let alone the I fact know. our producers and Andy Nelson. I, mean, I, I, I was are we just out the, of Nelson jokes? The full Nelson. Full Nelson, exactly. There's a bunch exactly. of low-hanging so, fruit. Kurt Nelson of no relation. You got to say that part. Yeah, <laughs> right. got to say that. Check your local jurisdiction. Anyway, on behalf of Kurt Nelson, no relation, and Seth Nelson, America's favorite divorce attorney, I'm Pete Wright, not a Nelson, and we'll catch you next week right here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with NLG Divorce and Family Law with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, How to Split a Toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of NLG Divorce and Family Law. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.